good morning, church, and welcome to second service this morning. It is great to see you. Your father thrills to see your heart this morning, thrills to see you in worship. Know that. You know, we talk about a Christmas getting together with family. Well, this is his family, so it's good to see you. Welcome this morning. You know, when we sing that line at the end of that last song, holy is the Lord, it's very easy to not understand what that means. Let me take just a moment and explain it to you if you don't know. When we see the word holy, kind of in our modern context, we think uh, that it means that God is, is moral, that God is just, that God is perfect, that God is awesome in power and has all authority. And that is the lesser meaning of the word holy. The greater meaning is incredibly beautiful. Literally, the word means to be set apart for. When the scripture says God is holy, it's saying that God is set apart for something. Guess what that something is? It's you and me. It's saving us. It's rescuing us. It's making us his own. When the Bible says be holy because I am holy, it's saying be set apart to me because I am set apart to you because I love you. And what a picture of that at Christmas. God is so set apart to us that he would become a baby, a human being that we might know him, Emmanuel, God with us. So the next time you hear that word, holy, rejoice in that church, it means that God is for you, it means that God seeks you, it means that he is utterly devoted to us. What an amazing thing we celebrate. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, was gone last weekend, and I want to say thank you so much for all of your kindnesses. So many people reached out to Ron and I during the week. If you don't know, uh, I, I, Thanksgiving evening, we got the call that, that my dad was, um, you know, just a matter of hours away from passing. And so we ran down to Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and um, got to be with him all through that night. He passed away in the morning. It was very peaceful. My sister and I were with him holding his hands when that happened. And that's a privilege. Uh, not everybody gets that. And so we were, um, you know, uh, having that experience last weekend. And all week, uh, you guys have been so patient and gracious. Thank you for that. When I got back, <laughs> you want to hear a funny story? When I got back, the staff gave me a whole bunch of flowers. And because I'm stupid, I assumed they were plastic. And so I set them over in the corner in my office. And about three days later, Pastor Allison says, you better water those, Pastor Craig. Oh, I thought they were plastic. She looked at me like, you are so dumb. Who would give you <laughs> plastic flowers for your dance passing? But many of you were, were wonderful. Thank you for that. And, and that one family that delivered cookies to our house, you're especially wonderful. Thank you for that. You're our favorites. I'm kidding. But um, good stuff. So again, thank you for that. It's good to be back. And this is why we preach the gospel, because that moment's coming for everybody. Amen. Amen. Hey, a few announcements to share with us this morning before we do something very special and then open God's word together. Um, first of all, next uh, Sunday is our kids' Christmas program. Uh, next Sunday morning in all three services, that'll be happening. It gets pretty crowded around here on uh, Christmas program morning. Grandmas and grandmas and aunts and uncles coming in. So just be aware of that next week. Might want to come a little bit early and we'll have all the extra chairs out. But it's always a wonderful time. You know, uh, second service is really most 
blessed with the kids' Christmas program because in first service, they're all still trying to wake up and they make their mistakes and it's cute and we love it. Second service, they got their A game, right? They, they got it down, they're ready to go. You should see them in third service. It's a bunch of dead men walking. It's a bunch of zombies trying to get through the program. It's usually pretty funny, but uh, you're blessed. In second. So that'll be next week is the kids' Christmas program. So be aware of that. Also, uh, this Friday evening, Pastor Allison and the kids' team is hosting a special event you're invited to. It'll happen at 6 o'clock uh, here at the church. It's called a gingerbread house batch. And what we've got is a whole bunch of gingerbread houses. You can come down with your kids, invite your neighbors, friends to come down and make a gingerbread house together. Do that kind of family thing on Friday night. So everybody's invited. There's no cost. Um, somebody at work you want to bring with you, somebody in your neighborhood. We're going to have that on Friday night at 6 o'clock. Again, everybody's invited. Then that next Sunday, so... Two Sundays from today is our ugly Christmas sweater Sunday, and who doesn't love that? Um, so drag that stuff out of the back of your closet. We always have a contest every year. We give away some prizes. So ugly Christmas sweater Sunday happening uh, in two weeks on the 18th. And then finally, um, you know that we have a long, rich, warm tradition at MRCC of our Christmas Eve candlelight services. We gather for about 45 minutes, we sing hymns, we hear a five-minute message, and then we take communion together and we go out singing Silent Night. And it's an all-family thing, it's a wonderful time. And every year we normally do that on Christmas Eve at 3, 4, and 5 o'clock. If you've ever been here at 3 o'clock for that first service, you know what a circus that is. Like last year, we had standing room everywhere, all the walls, the foyer was full, down the hall, people peeking in the windows. I'm not sure they were here for the service, but they were peeking in the windows. It gets really crowded. So we actually looked around, and, and there's kind of a trend. Uh, a lot of churches are slightly shifting that, so we're going to try that this year. We're going to go at 2, 3, and 4. So make note of that. There'll be a card in the mail. You'll see all that online. But normally our Christmas Eve services are at 3, 4, and 5. This year we're going to do that at 2, 3, and 4. So you're invited to be a part of that. Bring a friend. It's always uh, a great time. Now I said we were going to do something special this morning, and that's what's up next. As you know, it was just a little over uh, two months ago, almost three months ago, that we said farewell to our youth pastor, Josh and Nicole. They moved down to Phoenix. They had come through an internship at our program, became our youth pastors for several years, and the whole point was to graduate them and move them on, and we celebrated that. Since then, we have been prayerfully seeking who God would call to be our next youth pastor, and we've been deep in that process. And, and we've, we've gone across the country searching. We actually brought out some candidates that kind of rose to the top. We brought out a couple from Ohio, another couple from New Orleans. They were here. But throughout that whole process, it was growing on all of our hearts simultaneously about who God was calling to be our next youth pastor. And as each of those candidates came in, that conviction only became deeper. And so last week we came to the end of that process and we feel like God has made very clear who our new youth pastor is to be. And so I'm going to invite Tyler and Michaela Cash to come join me up here on the platform. And they're going to be our youth pastors going forward. We did this in first service. We're going to do it all over again, right? Yes, yeah. amen. Amen. I want you to know, church, that uh, Tyler likes to point out that he's actually been at MRCC longer than me. <laughs> and he grew up here, kids' church here, the youth group here, and of course, 
Tyler's dad was our youth pastor for years before he went off to the network to lead our network's youth pastors. And so there's, there's something symmetrical about all of this. But what really captured us was that over these last almost four years that Tyler and Michaela have come through uh, our internship here at MRCC and then came on staff, have been serving our online community, have been serving uh, in a lot of capacities, our graphics, a lot of social media stuff, all that. Through that process, and I embarrass him a little bit by saying this, but he knows I'm going to, we've watched Tyler grow from kind of an insecure, self-conscious young man into a passionately devoted servant of God's church. And his heart is utterly, their hearts are for our kids, and they have shown that deeply. And that awareness as it's grown on us in the last couple of years made this kind of an obvious decision. We wanted to, to hear from God, and we did. We have. And so Tyler and Michaela are becoming our youth pastors now. And I want to ask you to pray with me over them as we send them into that calling. Would, would you maybe stand with us, please, and do that? And, and if you feel comfortable, stretch out your hand. But no matter what, join your prayers with mine this morning. Would you do that? Father God, we give you thanks this morning for what you have done in the lives of Tyler and Michaela. God, for how you have grown them in the things of your spirit, how you have filled them with a desire to serve, with a, a passionate care for young people and, and for your whole church. And God, we thank you for that work. We rejoice in it. And now, Lord, we ask your blessing on them as they step into that role, as they set out to, to teach, to reach, to lead young people in this whole area, this whole community. God, we pray that you anoint them to that work. We pray that you fill them with your spirit, that you give them perseverance and insight and faith, Lord to reach and to lead young people in your name. God, we ask your blessing on them as they give themselves to build your kingdom. We thank you for them, and we pray your spirit over them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Everybody say amen. Yeah, we celebrate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what an obvious... Um, calling, sense of calling that God has laid on them in the last year. It really shows through in so many ways. So we're excited about what the future holds. Church, grab your Bible, if you would, please, and open it to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. And as, as we get ready to, to really turn the corner into Christmas as a family, um, God wants to challenge us this morning about something very specific, about a part of our relationship with him, our personal relationship with him. You know, after the kids' Christmas program, we're going to go back to that beautiful old story of Emmanuel, God with us. This morning, as we get ready to do that, God wants to challenge us. And, and here's what he wants to challenge us about. How well do you wait <laughs> How good are you at sitting there patiently, full of peace and joy, as the red light doesn't change? How comfortable and happy and serene are you in the waiting room at the doctor's office or the line at the grocery store? How well do you wait? Are you any good at it? Now, I ask that question 
Because the Bible again and again calls us as God's people to wait, to wait in faith. We like to think of faith as a thing we do, a stepping out, a taking an action, a being bold, taking an initiative, reaching out. And, and it's true that, that we express our faith that way. But even more often, God's word calls us to wait in faith. If we read the Bible cover to cover, we find that God is always calling his people to wait. He promises that Israel will be delivered from Egypt. But then he, he waits almost 400 years to bring that to pass. He promises Abraham and Sarah that they will have a son. But then he waits until they're in their 90s to bring that promise to fulfillment. For centuries, he sends prophets to tell Israel, to remind Israel, to encourage Israel that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. But, but then again, he waits centuries to bring that to fulfillment. Jesus himself tells his disciples that he will rise from the dead after the Romans crucify him. But then he calls on them to wait three long days with him in the tomb before that resurrection comes to pass. And, and it continues even after the resurrection. Jesus says to us, hey, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you. I'm going to baptize you in my Holy Spirit, but I want you to wait until the time is right for that to happen. Wait until I'm ready to bring that to pass. And months pass before that promise is fulfilled. We could, we could go on and on like this. God is always calling his people, you and me, to wait. But because he does that, we are always asking God, why? Why do we have to wait? Why are we waiting? Why do you ask us to wait I mean, we know you're God. We know your power is limitless. We know you can do anything at any time. And yet you constantly call us to wait. Why is that? And it's a question a lot of people are asking on a personal level. You know, there's, there's the single person who hopes that God might bring them that soulmate to marry. But it hasn't happened yet. And, and so they wait. Sometimes they despair if it will ever happen. There's the childless couple who desperately wants to start a family and they see others doing just that, but they themselves are asked to wait and they wonder why. There's the person who dreams of, of doing work that they feel God has called them to, but that opportunity hasn't yet been realized and like Moses in Midian, decades go by as they wait for the vision God planted on their heart to come true. And they ask, God, why, why wait? Or there's the depressed person who keeps waiting to wake up one morning with a real desire to live like they know they should have, like they want to have, but, but they don't have yet. And they cry out to God and, and they ask, God, why do I have to wait for this? Why can't it be today? Again, I could go on and on. There's the person like my mom who lost a spouse last Friday. And she knows there's a resurrection, but she's lonely. And she feels that profoundly. And she asks, why, why do I have to wait 
for that reunion? Why do I have to wait for that to come? I, I could go on and on. Maybe you're asking the question, God, why are you asking me to wait? Now, the Lord wants to talk to us about that this morning. And, and waiting isn't always hard and difficult. In fact, there's an aspect of waiting that can be incredibly joyful. It was about eight years ago when the church graciously offered Rhonda and I the opportunity to take a whole month off and fulfill a lifelong dream, which was to fly to Europe and spend four weeks riding our bikes all over the continent. And that was something we had talked about since we were in our 20s, but we thought, you know, it'll probably never happen. There'll probably never be that opportunity. It's fun to dream about, but it's never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, we knew it was going to happen. And can I tell you that those months between knowing that it was going to happen and it happening was a fun waiting. It was filled with anticipation. Every time something was hard or we were tired, we would look at each other and go, yeah, but guess what? In a few weeks, we're going to fly to Europe and ride our bikes around for a month. And that anticipation filled the waiting with a kind of joy. And God wants to talk to us about transforming our waiting because he has a purpose in it. When he asks you to wait, when he asks us to wait, he has a purpose in it. And he's calling us this morning to feel that reality and to embrace it. Here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about waiting. It's a story that he tells after having promised his disciples that he would return, that the second coming would be the end of history, that although Jesus came at Christmas as a baby to offer grace and salvation to whoever was willing to receive it, and we carry that message to this day, he says, there will come a day when I return as judge, when I return to put right this world and that means to bring justice to those on whom justice must fall. But Jesus said, you know what? There's going to be a long wait between here and then. I want you to wait for that and do my work in the meantime, knowing that the waiting has a purpose. Having reminded them, having given them that promise, he tells three parables, and this is one of them. And let's listen to it together. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 1, Jesus is speaking. He says this. At that time, that time of the second coming, the return of Christ, the end of the age, at that time, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, let me pause for a moment. In our modern context, we hear the word virgins and we think of sexual inexperience. That's not the idea here. The word in that context refers to what we would call bridesmaids. Actually, groomsmaids in this case, but it's the same idea. It's members of the wedding party, friends of the family who were gathering to celebrate a wedding. Jesus says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Again, let me pause for a moment. The word foolish in that context doesn't just mean dumb. It doesn't just mean ignorant and unaware. It has the connotation of morally corrupt. So when you see the words foolish and wise biblically, they don't just refer to knowing stuff and not knowing stuff. They mean good and bad in the heart. They mean wanting what's right and good as opposed to not wanting what's right and good. He says five of the bridesmaids were foolish and five were wise. 
The foolish ones took their lamps, I'm going to sketch the background for this in a moment, but didn't take any oil with them, just what was in the lamp. But the wise took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now that's a significant detail. To give you a little background, in those days when a wedding was going to happen, there would be a party the night before thrown by the groom's family. The whole wedding party would be invited. And typically the way that it would go is that as the sun set, the groom would appear, be escorted by all the bridesmaids and by his friends, what we would call the groomsmen, and they would go together to a designated house and celebrate. The bride would eventually be brought into that and that would lead the next morning into the wedding. So in this case, Jesus is sketching that very familiar picture to his audience. And we find that five of the bridesmaids bring just a jar with whatever oil's in it. Five bring lamps with jars of oil. Now, the story goes that, and here's the first unexpected detail, the bridegroom was a long time coming. He didn't arrive when was traditional. He didn't arrive when people expected him. He didn't arrive when some would say he was supposed to, even though there was no law that said as soon as the sun goes down, that was the expectation. But this bridegroom didn't do that. He was a long time coming. And as a consequence, as the evening wore on, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Then at midnight, significant detail, we'll come back to it, the cry rang out, here comes the bridegroom. All right, Time to start the party. He's late, but he's here. He's late by our expectations, but he's here now. It's time to go in to the celebration. Come out to meet him, was the cry. Then all the virgins, all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. See, part of the festivity was they would escort him with the, the light of the lamps and singing to the party, and then those lamps would light up the inside of the house where we were celebrating. It's not unlike our Christmas lights today. The cry rang out, though, and when they trimmed their lamps, the foolish ones realized, hey, what I just brought in my lamp isn't enough. As the evening's worn on, it's mostly gone. And so they said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, the wise ones replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. In other words, there's a party coming. We're supposed to illuminate it. We've brought lamps with extra oil so we can do that, so we can serve the groom. We want to do that. So they said, no, instead you go to those who sell oil and, and buy some more for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others came also. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, and his reply is incredibly significant and the key to what we're talking about this morning. He said, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. The word know in a Hebrew context is very strong. It speaks of intimacy, speaks of relationship, speaks of friendship. What the groom is saying in this moment is I don't know you as my friends. And this party is for family and friends. And you have revealed yourself to be those who don't really care about what's happening. Not enough to wait, not enough to be prepared to wait. And then Jesus finishes the story. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Let's break it down a little bit. We've already talked about the fact that virgins means bridesmaids. Then there's that phrase at the end, the phrase, I don't know you. To grasp this church, we want to understand that 
the meaning of the parable is that the foolish virgins weren't really invested in the wedding. I mean, they wanted to see and be seen. They were willing to show up. They were willing to hang out. Every wedding has people who come because they think they're supposed to, right? You had a few of those at yours. People who come because of an expectation of others. People who are just there to be seen once and then to escape as soon as possible. And then there's others who are all about the wedding. They're connected. They're involved. This matters to them. They're not just showing up to fulfill a duty. They're there because they care. And Jesus in the story is drawing a distinction between those two groups of people. Notice what the story says, verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time coming. That would have surprised Jesus' audience, which is why he adds that twist. The groom typically came in the early evening, but the consistent teaching of Jesus in the context leading up to this story was that his return would take a long time, that it wouldn't come immediately, that there would be a long passage of time. Hey, we're, we're 2,000 years and counting since that promise. Peter picks up this idea in 2 Peter chapter 3. He points out that lots of people think he's, he's not ever coming just because he hasn't yet even though that makes no sense, even though that's the worst kind of logical fallacy, much of the world says, well, he hasn't come yet, he's not coming. Peter said, I know it's gonna be that way. Second Peter chapter three, verse three, he writes, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They'll say, where's this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But then Peter says, don't forget one thing, Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. God's timing is different than ours. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowest. In other words, he's not not coming because he can't. No, no, no. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, Jesus says he's coming back and you can count on it, but I need you to wait for a while because I care so much about the people who don't know me yet that I want you to be willing to wait for them. So that's where the parallel comes to this story of the 10 virgins. Some of them cared so much about him, about his marriage, about what he was doing, that they were prepared to wait as long as it took for his arrival. And they were invested in that to the degree that they, they got those jars of oil and said, man, we might need extra oil. We don't know exactly when he's going to come, but we want to be there at that wedding. Well, in the same way, God says to you and I, as his sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus, he says, hey, I want you to be willing to wait in the dark of this world, in the mess of this world. I want you to be willing to wait because I'm still saving people. I'm still reaching people with my gospel. I'm still changing lives. And I want you to care so much about that that you're willing to wait with me. Not everyone will. Some will become impatient. Some will become dissatisfied. Some will grow angry with the groom because he's waiting so long. And they'll just say, you know what, I'm out. I'm, I don't want to deal with this. I got my own stuff. I'm out of here. Kind of like the five foolish bridesmaids. But those who care will wait. You know, history tells us that when the Titanic sank and everybody went into lifeboats, many of those lifeboats were half or less full. And the right thing to do would have been to remain on the site as long as possible. Every boat was full, save as many as possible, but many didn't. They rowed away. 
And when help came, when rescue came, they were asked, why is your boat only half full? You mean you cared so little about the people who were drowning that you were willing to row away with a half full boat? There's something of that in this moment. Jesus is asking us, his people, to wait for those who haven't been rescued yet. Peter goes on to say, but that moment will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The return of Christ is one of the primary things Jesus taught, and he asks us to wait for it, to wait looking forward to it. That's why he tells this story. Verse 6 emphasizes the fact that that moment will come. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Here's the bride. Here's the moment. Here's what it's all been leading for. Here's what you've all been waiting for. That moment will come. But in that moment, we discover that you can tell who really cares about it by those who are willing to wait by those who were prepared to wait and those who didn't. It's crucial to grasp this detail, friends. Please notice that all 10 of the bridesmaids fell asleep. We tend to think, you know, the fail would be to fall asleep. No, God knows that we struggle. God knows that we grow weak, we fail. That's what the cross is all about. He rescues us. He doesn't save us on the basis of whether we don't fall asleep or not. He saves us on the basis of whether we're willing to wait, of whether we're willing to wait for what he's doing. You see, what we learn about those other bridesmaids is they they hadn't taken the wedding seriously at all. It wasn't important enough to them to prepare. And, And that tells you something about whether they were or weren't his friends. That's the challenge this morning. Let me ask her, are you willing to wait for God's timing in your life? You know, Christmas was the culmination of a long, long wait. And those who knew the most joy, the Bible tells us, were people like Simeon and Anna who had been waiting their whole lives to see a promise fulfilled. And it was fulfilled, but the only ones who recognized it were those who were waiting. That's the idea in this passage. You know, our family has a long tradition of spending a week every summer going camping. We just love to do that. We have our favorite spots. And and every time we prepare to do that, every time we get ready to go camping, Rhonda reveals how much preparation she's done for that trip. She's got tubs filled with everything you could possibly want or need. Medicine, little things filled with spices for every individual meal, every meal planned out that we're going to have while we're there. Things that I would forget, like spare underwear. She's got it all prepared for that trip. And and why does she do that? Why does she have all that stuff ready? Why does she spend so much time doing that? Because that week matters so much to her. She, She knows how important it is. And so she prepares for it. She waits for it. She looks forward to it. Jesus is saying, hey, will you wait and look forward to what I'm doing? Will you prepare to wait for my timing in your life? That's that's the point of this parable. That's the whole point that Jesus wants us to grasp. The party is for his friends. He says, "Will will you be my friends enough to wait? to prepare to wait for my timing. You know, these are, these are sober words. What the Lord is teaching us is that we, we, who we are tomorrow depends on what we choose today. And the, the wedding feast is a personal celebration of friendship with him. 
Are we looking forward to that and waiting for that? Now, here's the thing. We've only got a few minutes left. Generally, you and I are willing to wait for three kinds of things. We're willing to wait for someone we believe in. We're willing to wait for someone or something we care about. And we're willing to wait for something we know is worth it. But the flip side, we're not willing to wait for someone we don't believe in or something we don't care about or something we don't think is worth it. We're not willing to wait for someone we don't believe in. I remember a few years ago when I cut my finger pretty bad, had to go to the ER for stitches. I'm in the ER. The nurse is stitching up my finger, and uh, an ambulance comes in, and it's kind of chaotic with a, an emergency. And so she says, hey, I'll come back. And she leaves me half-stitched and goes to take care of this emergency. Well, I used to work in the ER. I've stitched up lots of people. So I finished stitching up my finger and checked myself out of the ER. I was very polite. I went to the front desk. I said, hey, I'm done. I finished it myself. We're all good. I got the antibiotics. I'm heading out. They're like, well, you can't do that. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I actually pay you for this, you know. So, But I, d I didn't believe that it was necessary to wait for, so I didn't wait. We don't wait for things we don't believe in. We don't wait for things we don't care about. <laughs> You know, I didn't really need her to do it a certain way. I was just on my way down the road. We don't wait when we think it's not worth it. This is just my morning to give doctors a hard time. So I went to see the orthopedic surgery for one of my knee surgeries, and I'm supposed to meet with him at, you know, 10 o'clock, and they'd give you the whole spiel, get here 20 minutes early, so you fill out paperwork, okay, we're there early, get that all done. My appointment's at 10, you know how this goes. It's 11.15, and I haven't seen the doctor yet. Right? So finally I said, man, I got things to do. So I went up to the receptionist. I said, hey, look, no worries. I got to go. So just tell the doc I can't. Well, you got an appointment. No, I had an appointment at 10 o'clock. You know, it's 11.15. I got to go. So I left and calls me back later that day. Hey, why'd you leave? Well, we had an appointment at 10 o'clock. Well, it was 11.50. Well, you know what? I got things to do. I'm not willing to wait for something that I don't think is worth it. We can reschedule. But we are willing to wait for someone we believe in, for something we care about, for something we know is worth it. You know, I remember when Ron and I were courting, 18 years old, I was in Iceland, she was in Oregon, and we were, you know, courting, and she says, hey, I'm going to fly up to visit you. I want to come up to Iceland, spend some time with you. I thought, yeah, she's just talking. That's not going to happen. She's a kid. Well, a few weeks later, she calls and writes, and she says, hey, my plane's arriving next Saturday. Here's the flight. I'm going to be there. It's like, wow. I gave her a hard time to this day. She flew halfway around the world to chase me. So, you know, there it is. <laughs> but here's the thing is, when the, when the flight was supposed to land, I'm at the airport waiting for her, and it doesn't come, and I find out that it's delayed. <laughs> it was delayed over three hours. I had to sit there in the airport and wait. And you know what? I sat there and waited with a grin on my face. I had to wait until the next day for the airplane to come in. Because we will wait for something we care about, for someone we believe in. We will wait for those things. And we'll wait for something we know is worth it. We're willing to wait for that. Can I embarrass myself in front of you? Can I I'm going to destroy your opinion of me. But way back in the day when the first Star Trek movie came out, my wife and I got to the theater 18 hours early and hung out in sleeping bags waiting to go in. In the parking lot, it was cold, we waited. You're thinking, that's really dumb. You know what? Because you don't care about it. We cared about it. And so we waited all that time and got to go in for the... See, we will wait, and we will wait joyfully for what we know is worth it. 
and for who we believe in. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. As we get ready to close this morning, let me ask you, are you willing to wait for him? For his timing in your life, for his timing in your kids' lives, or your parents' lives, or your friends' life. Are you willing to wait for his timing in this world? Are you willing to paddle around in the dark in a half-filled boat because he's still trying to save people? Those who are his friends are willing to wait for him. And nobody who's willing to wait is ever disappointed at the end. Everyone who is willing to wait rejoices at the end. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Why? Because what he's doing matters so much. So much that they're willing to wait. You know, maybe, maybe you're single and in a hurry to get married. God says, wait. Your wait will be worth it. I know what I'm doing here. Wait for the right one, the right time. Don't try to make it happen all by yourself. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage and you feel like bailing out because it's hard, but there's been no infidelity, no physical abuse. God says, will you wait with me? Will you wait for me to do my work in your spouse's heart and mind? Maybe you're waiting for a healing and it's scary and exhausting and Sometimes you want to curl up in a ball and give up. God says, wait with me. I have a timing. The healing is coming. It's coming. Will you wait with me for it? Maybe you have a God-given dream and it's taking a long time. I think of Moses, 40 years in Midian. I think of Abraham, 90 years waiting for a child. There's lots of other examples. God says, will you wait? Will you wait for what I'm doing? Because you're my friend. Because you believe in me. Because you care about what I'm doing. Because you know that it'll be worth it. Maybe you've been fighting a long battle with a sinful habit, an addiction, and you, you feel like quitting. God says, will you wait? I'm at work in you. I'm at work in you. And the longer you wait, the more full will be the fulfillment of what I'm doing. Henry Nouwen paints a beautiful picture of waiting on God in faith. He talks about his friends, the Flying Redundas, a circus act, trapeze artists. Got to know the husband and wife who did some of the most amazing aerial feats. And he said, they taught me something I didn't understand. They said, a catcher and a flyer, you know, the two people who swing and she flies through the air and he catches her. He says, the catcher and the flyer have to have a certain kind of relationship. The flyer has to trust the catcher. Because when the flyer lets go of the bar and spins through the air, there's nothing she can do to get herself caught. No flailing, no moving, no reaching out, just waiting. She has to learn to wait. The catcher, her husband in this case, he knows how to catch her but only if she waits. If she does a bunch of unexpected stuff, then the act is going to fail. She's going to land in the net. It's not going to be good. So the, the flyer has to learn to wait, just to wait, knowing that the catcher at the perfect moment will catch. That's what God is saying to you and I. 
as we turn the corner into Christmas. He's inviting us to wait. He's inviting you to wait. Where is God inviting you to wait with him? His friends are willing. He wants you to be willing and me. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, let me just ask you, where is God inviting you to wait? Where is he taking longer than you want? He says, will you believe in me? Will you trust me? Will you believe my promise that your wait will be worth it? Will you believe it enough to prepare yourself to wait? He said, my friends do. In that waiting you will know me. And when the moment comes in my timing, you'll say it's worth it. You'll be the one rejoicing. God invites you to get to know him in the waiting. Maybe you need to tell him now that you're willing to wait. Go ahead, he's listening. He loves you. Calls you his friend just because you believe. God, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we turn the corner into the celebration that is Christmas, God, teach us that waiting with anticipation, waiting in faith is what makes the fulfillment all the brighter. Help us to wait like your friends, believing in you, trusting you, knowing your ways are best. We pray for that. We ask that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends? What a, what a thing we celebrate at Christmas. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When Israel realized what had happened, they said, oh, that way was worth it. That way was worth it. So will we. Now may the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Merry Christmas. Have a great afternoon.